sleek, cold, empty, warm, filled, and inviting. It's time for Architecture Coffee and In. Hollywood C, and you're listening to Architecture Coffee and Ink, a podcast dedicated to introducing concepts, detailing out designs, and tackling the architecture you might not realize the meaning behind. I'm your hostess, and I'm here today to start introducing you to the concepts that make you wonder why. So I ask you to brew your coffee, grab your sketchbook and pen, and let's begin. So hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. If you are a new listener, a recurring listener, or just dropped in to say hi, you may have noticed this episode just came out Tuesday at 5 a.m. Eastern time instead of our admittedly random times that it has been on the past on Sunday afternoons. From now on, this is actually going to be my new episode release time. And this is going to be for a variety of reasons, but in a large part for consistency and also to do with some advice and encouragement from the listeners and a mentor and also grading. A lot of influence from grading in my schedule next semester a little bit. So Tuesdays at 5 a.m., you can start getting your dose of architecture coffee and ink. So in addition to that, the blog post will now come out at noon Eastern time on Tuesdays. There will be a slight delay just to allow me a little bit of time to add the links from the Spotify episodes to my post. If you didn't know, I keep a little add-on or widget, I guess you would call it through WordPress, um, that allows me to link to my previous episodes. So if you ever have a problem with whatever app or platform you're using to listen to, you can always just head over to the blog main page and look at everything. Altogether, this has been an absolutely crazy week. And as we are moving into the next one, it is not going to get any less crazy for me. Finals in America are fast approaching. And if you are in architecture school like me, you might be starting yours this week like I am. So I would like to take a moment and just be encouraging. Be your cheerleader. Just tell you that you are going to do great. Don't listen to the nagging doubts that you're probably feeling right now. Just concentrate on your design because let's be honest, no one will know them as well as you do. Remember that drawings are a bridge and an expression of your design. Sometimes I think we forget about it because in the field, we have two distinct types of drawings, the pretty, the Photoshop, the theoretical explorations, you know, the ones that we use to convey our concept. And then we have the technical construction documents, you know, your blueprints, your little detailed drawings calling for a specific screw type and everything like that, however you may call them. And sometimes I at least get so caught up 
and getting the technical details and aspects into the theoretical that I genuinely forget to take a moment and remember why I love doing drawings and the field itself in the first place. So my extremely unsolicited advice to you is to take a moment, it can be only 30 seconds, to remember why you love design and the field in the first place. So those who know me are probably going to be laughing at me giving advice because when I was writing this episode and researching this episode, I was actually sitting in front of a CNC at my school fab lab because I'm all about that multitasking. Uh, for those who don't know what it is, I'm actually going to be posting a picture of it on the blog along with the usual episode notes and transcripts. But to be honest, it's basically just a giant drill that carves away from the material. In this case, foam. It always looks great, but cleaning up leaves you looking like, well, um, Genuinely, I think if I laid down and rolled in mud, I would have had less stuff on me than everything. Maybe, you know, taking a whole mud bath and still been cleaner than what I was after I finished cleaning up all that foam pieces. I am personally using it to model some topography and show my project in the landscape, you know, in a more abstract representational way. If my whole presentation actually turns out, I will possibly be sharing some pics to the Insta. And I genuinely haven't had any time whatsoever to update or play with that this week. But also, if anybody else ever wants to share their work or share their ideas, I'd be happy to do that for them. Give them a shout out. I overall strongly suspect my winter break will be filled with me playing a lot of catch up on personal and fun projects. This week after my presentations and reviews, I will actually be heading to the ASLA, uh, American Society of Landscape Architects Conference. So like I said in a previous episode, since I study and am, and am a part of both schools, I try, try to be involved or as involved as possible in both colleges. So I'm pretty excited to hear and listen to several of the speakers and to the presentations they have. But if any other listeners see me, please stop by and say hi. I would love to meet others in the field this week. But otherwise, on to the show. And as always, check your facts, check your sources, and more importantly, check me. So... In this week's episode, we are going to be continuing our discussion on space. Which again, I maintain that while it is one of the most basic units of design, it is also the most important aspect to have a firm understanding on. It's also the most overlooked aspect of design, or maybe Maybe you just need a firm enough understanding that you can learn how to manipulate it. Because architects are at their core masters of manipulation. Using space and form within a building, we craft the experience, express our values, make people feel, influence the way they think and experience a place. 
and so much more. There's actually a lot of overlap with storytelling. However, instead of our voices, we are use our designs to create a place and take you away on a journey. There are so many amazing, curious things that we can do with space. Now, last week, I did a bit of an experiment with my listeners. And if you want to go check that out, you can check out part one first before continuing this episode. I paired it that way on purpose. I wanted to start out with describing instead of defining, because I want that experience and understanding to strongly influence this episode. I wanted to change the way we thought about it, because in school, you do the reverse. You learn your definitions, you learn your pieces, and then you learn your descriptions. But like any piece of construction, I want my podcast to grow and build off of itself. So last episode, I defined space as having four overarching definitions. To directly quote myself, space is defined as three different things on Google. Either the unencumbered area, free of debris, the dimensions, height, width, and depth, or finally positions between objects. And for me, and of course, the fourth is just as intangible, all encompassing beyond, beyond Earth. And I am referring to outer space, but I genuinely haven't heard anybody throw the word outer space on it in a very long time. But it's what us humans refer to as the final frontier, a part of the beyond. The in-between bits of area, between the planets and compromised of a vacuum. But actually made up of elements. And if anyone ever wants to sit down with me and talk about astrophysics or any other space science, please hit me up. I was actually in the club when I was in primary school in partnership with the space program. One of those super cheesy, but super amazing programs that is actually still around, so I won't name drop. But since I have not studied it formally, I am not an astrophysicist and astrophysicist and not, compl- not attempting to claim that, but I absolutely love to attend lectures and hear others speak about it. And we will get to why this is relevant in a second. So just kind of hold on to all of those thoughts for me. Now, in addition to the four definitions I also briefly mentioned about uh, when I was first introducing my podcast last week, 2D, 3D, etc. Um, so for those who knows who know what that means, please bear with me a moment, but I'm going to explain it, what those actually mean. So the D means dimension, and dimension will mean the measurement at its most basic rudimentary definition. So a 2D object is normally flat, it has height and width, but not depth. 
So basically a drawing on a piece of paper. The drawing itself is what is 2D. 3D will have height, width, and depth normally, which is humans, pencils, etc. the world surrounding you, everything you can touch and move. I once heard two people argue for several hours why paper should slash shouldn't be considered 2D slash 3D. It was honestly one of the most hilarious conversations I have ever witnessed. And I'm, I think only one of them was being serious about it, which is probably what made it so much better. But 4D is when we start to get a little bit weird with our definitions which of course is why we absolutely love it. 4D is an abstract idea. It's when you throw in dashes of time, etc. You know, recently we started throwing in space time. I also believe motion can be considered a part of this as well. However, altogether, 4D is the most difficult to explain, which is probably why we as architects love to try and inhabit it. I feel like need to take a moment and make a disclaimer that I'm going to mention relativity. So if you suffer or are triggered by that, please skip ahead like two-ish minutes. Actually, you should probably skip ahead like five or six minutes. I'll give you just a second to do that, but so to break this down in the simplest of terms, in 1907, Albert Einstein, the one with the greatest hair known to mankind, had his, quote, happy thought. He realized that when two items are in motion, one would not appear to be moving to the other. Basically, if you're on a roller coaster, and the roller coaster next to you is also falling, you can't really see how much gravity is going on. Versus the people in line, you know, those people standing stationary, they can see just exactly how fast slash what the effects are. They are removed from it. To be clear, he was focused mostly on gravity in this particular equation. And to be honest, it is way more complicated than that. And if you want to get into the principle of equivalence, there are some really great papers out there. But for our sake and the sake of the podcast episode, that's roughly as deep as we're going to be going at the moment. So most of the papers I was reading, and even when I personally was being introduced to physics, used balls being dropped from a tower and the idea is more if you are jumping off the roof and throwing a ball down at the same time as he kind of originally described it versus if you're in a closed elevator so uh trademark thought experiment to albert einstein i guess um, however, for the sake of architects, the more subtle definition I explain works pretty well in at least where and what we can manipulate. Now, all of this goes on further by someone named Herman Mitchkowski, 
who is actually the one who tied it all together with the fourth dimension. It was not actually Albert Einstein, something that often gets mistranslated. And he is actually the one who created the, the light cone diagram. And you probably may not know the name of this diagram, but you have seen it at some point in your life. It's basically where time is on the x-axis on a graph. So everyone take a moment. If you have Rhino or AutoCAD, you have probably spent a lot of time looking at grids and axes. Um, but if you haven't, go back to your basic algebra math class. And remember when you're plotting curves in math and you have your x-axis going up and down and then your y-axis going horizontal. So basically, the x-axis going up and down is time. And as you move through your little planet dot, you move along the axis. And then the y is the space. So as you move, you can move along both and you can kind of plot where you are in the world. Well, in time and space, not so much the world because the world is the dot. And the present is actually the origin. So that's where time meets space. And I want to make sure everyone understands that difference. The time is meeting space together there. And that is present. And then to get the actual cone itself, you basically take two cones, point them at the origin, so that way the cone reaching up and out is reaching towards the future, towards the sky and the higher numbers. And where your traditional negative is, is down below, that's your past. And if you ever want to have your mind really, really blown about this concept, read H.G. Wells and realize it was written before both of them all together. So what does this all have to do with space and the 4D and architects for us? Other than the fact that it's pretty trippy to think about, you know, as a whole. I know some people do get triggered with it. That's why I did make sure to like put that disclaimer um, the idea of a hurtling planet through time and space does bother a lot of people. And I have met several people that way, so I don't want to upset anybody, but what do we as architects need to consider in that? And not in the relative, I think, therefore I am way, but there is both drawings and designs that are projected to exist only in the 4D. But also there's something called building information modeling, wherein the designs and diagrams exist within the fourth dimension of time. So ideally, this is supposed to help out with the idea that you're basically helping to think through the project as you construct it. And to be honest, one of my favorite ways to think about construction or think about phases is to design. And I did a couple of projects where I was thinking about how do you build in phases over time? Or how does your project break away and deconstruct itself over time? In architecture, there's this kind of side concept that 
my class and a couple other people got have gotten really interested in that was talking about you know the immortality of architectures and for us this particular concept came a lot based off of we were studying Corbusier and the Villa Savoie and we kind of went on this huge tangent about like the star architect which is the idea of a like star architect you know a big name versus just like a regular practicing architect and for a lot of the students they kind of came to the understanding that they don't want their buildings to serve as a form of immortality if it loses service or social responsibility Now, for me, that was insane to hear a bunch of college kids talk about, um, not because I didn't think they were capable of it, but because for me, I absolutely love concepts like that. And so being able to have that conversation was amazing. But not only that, it fits into this idea of space pretty well, like this idea of time. How do we program for time? How do we program space for time? And that's what kind of led me into this 4D dimension. Um, sorry, 4D dimension. That's like saying four dimension dimension. Um, a bit like calling the Sahara, the Sahara, the desert desert. But um, back to this simple diff example I described earlier with the roller coasters. Architects designing things like roller coasters and elevators can be aware and manipulate the experience of the individuals using this idea. Now, my example probably wasn't technically correct because again, I'm not an astrophysicist by any means, but it is an or physicist. To clarify, I'm not claiming to be the other one by default. I, I'm, I'm not both, but it is an extremely important idea to understand that you can change the perspective with something as simple as changing the speed. But this also goes into the idea that some people think that the fourth element is actually emotional, intellectual, or sensational. And to clarify, the four D movies like at Disney World, Animal Kingdom, please don't sue me, are good examples, but not the 4D that I'm referring to at this moment. So those are the type of movies where you sit down and you get blasted in the face with air or and it feels like the stinging of insects or you get dripped on by water as you see this 3D screen. It's one of those topics that more people can agree on what it is not than can agree on what it is. But at its simplest, it has to have four measurements, four dimensions, those things that we talked about earlier. And I really hope you can hear the quotations around that word. But I have had some spiritualist I've met even call it the spirit world or the afterworld based on the idea that it has to be something that exists beyond 
the 3D world we currently live in, beyond your most basic senses. Astro being as an astro plane, like astro projection, not like astro astronomy or anything like that. Basically, no matter who you ask, you can probably find a new definition and a new way of looking at it. Now we have a pretty basic understanding of the technical parts. Let's get down into the design parts because this is not a physics podcast and I will probably embarrass myself if I stray too much further into those topics. Naively, of course, assuming that I haven't already. So space in architecture is basically the entirety of the structure. As architects, we attend structures class and will sometimes discuss the things called positive and negative space or live and dead loads. So your live loads is the combined weight of the living things, people, sometimes in space or moving temporary furnishings. It's how you get occupation limits a lot of the time, but it can also be books or movable weight, you know, like in the terms of library. Dead loads will often combine the floors and other inanimate objects, walls, permanent furnishings, etc. The best way to think and kind of distinguish between the two of the most basic definition is can it or will it move? Then it's probably alive. And is it permanent or semi-permanent? It's probably a dead load. Some people will call them applied and static loads respectively. And that's actually how I learned those terms. Um, but for the sake of kind of public consumption, it's a little bit easier to focus with the dead and live loads. Now, just like in our other definitions, space can refer to the entire building or the in-between open areas that the dead loads define and the living loads inhabit. And I know someone is gonna write in this, write in arguing this one, but I have had teachers from several different generations change the way that they were using the word and why. And to complicate everything even further, the term space is also used to describe the layout of the building and the overall layout of the area as in possibly the region, the city, etc. Now, I have recently noticed more and more books switching to referring to it as an aspect of urban planning and trying to make a distinction between whether or not they're referring to like a grid, a radial grid in a city plan versus a radial design in a building. And I feel like I didn't quite explain that distinction, but when they're writing about it, they're taking time and care to craft their argument in such a way that you can understand inherently the difference between what they are talking about without getting them confused. And as long as you take into account the context clues and focus your understanding on the moment, most people I have spoken with manages to keep these concepts separate. Even though listing them out in a single episode in a podcast 
feels a lot like volleying back and forth between a particularly complicated um, plan. But remember last episode when I said that everyone and everything sometimes was like describing colors without using the words? This is the clearest example for me of being able to do exercises like that. And this shows that this is paramount, paramount to understanding architectural concepts. It's all relative. And if you want another big mind trip, because apparently that's my go-to thing this episode, think about the fact that we're on a moving planet, on a moving system, in a moving universe. It's all relative. So in space planning, whether that is a city or a building or possible organizations, there are a couple of descriptors. You have centralized, cluster, linear, radial, and grid. As I am sure several of you can guess, centralized means that there is a key core element in the center of the design, while clustered has everything grouped together in one area. So if you've studied building development um, or cities design, particularly in uh, American history, just because that's what I'm more familiar with. Um, a lot, actually, no, I'm more familiar with ancient history, but I'm gonna use American history as the example for right now. When originally setting up cities, a lot of them started out with a central area. So there was like a business area, things like that. And then after that, we switched to kind of sector-based design, which is where there were sectors of the city that were actually defined by usage, workers, um, living, class differences, etc. They were all make a slightly different evolution of design as you start from one and it slowly builds into each one. Versus other cities in particularly, and I know that there are a lot of um, cities in Europe and later developed cities that actually were more like the other three elements, which is when you have radial, which is starts out from a central point and then everything builds off around it. And then grid, which is of course is organized rows and then linear, which is of course, you know, everything is in linear lines or the houses are in lines or the roads are in lines, etc. If you don't know what this looks like, because I'm aware it's kind of hard to understand what I'm describing, you should really Google either grids and like the phrase grids and cities. Uh, just make sure you consider every source very carefully. Um, and that's really all I'm going to say about that because I am actually considering eventually doing another bonus episode one day about conspiracies and architectures. And some of them are absolutely hilarious to get into. But some further readings, I would rec hi highly recommend if you have the chance, and I have only read some of them. Others are actually ones that I have been recommended and just haven't gotten to. But 
The top three, if I had to recommend some, were the lessons for students in architectures, the social logic of space, and buildings in power. It's actually a pretty funny story how I came across these three readings. Um, I don't think the person who recommended them to me realized I would try and Google all three phrases together. But those three books are actually listed on a reading list in the Places Journal. And the ones that I mentioned are actually the top three entries and I was recommended those three by name in that order. So I will actually drop the link for that as well on the blog. And if next week I offer a, a weirdly worded retraction, it's because the person who I basically just called out finally listened to a podcast episode. But overall, space is important in how we control it. How we as architects define the moment. How we use colors to affect the moods and understandings. And overall, how we function within spaces. Oftentimes, we will allow programs to define and decide spaces for us. Sometimes the void is what defines it. And other times we get into cool things like space architecture, like is in outer space. And other times we take the positive and the negative space, the spaces linked by the common areas, the spaces within spaces, the adjacent spaces, the interlocking spaces, and we mix them all together to combine them into a single building. English is really hard. If you can, I would always encourage you to add or consider a spatial study to your standard toolkit of design. Learn how you inhabit the space. Picture and describe the experiment from last week. Chances are the depth of your project will massively grow. Thank you once again for tuning in. And once again, a big thank you to all my listeners. And a quick call to action. I know some of you probably turn off the podcast as soon as I say thank you for tuning in. But please rate and review Share with your friends, your neighbors, and your family, your professor, whoever you think needs some architecture, coffee, and ink in their lives. We again have a Facebook page and a private group, both of which are under the same name, Architecture Coffee and Ink. And the answer to the question, who is the host, is Hollywood, just like the city. And the second question is just your opinion, and I might just use it as a recommendation for a show with a little shout out. If you want to either be featured or have a case study suggestion, or perhaps just want to share a story of your favorite designer experience, you can find either find me at Architecture Coffee and Inc. The website is architectureinc.design.blog. The Insta is now Architecture Coffee and Ink. I still keep forgetting that I made one of those. Just like the email address. Everything will be linked in the show notes. 
You can also email me at architecturecoffeeandink at gmail.com, all spelled out without the ampersands or commas. I know, once again, I'm managing to forget something, but hopefully by next week, I will have slept a, co- a little bit longer each night. But once again, good luck on your reviews, everyone who's listening. If you're a professor, good luck on getting your class through them. And thank you once again for joining me at this brand new time of 5 a.m. on Tuesday morning. May your coffee mugs be full and your inkwells never run dry.